Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Renter Power Hour brought to you by Tennis Together, California's only statewide organization for renters' rights. We try to bring this podcast to you guys every month, but lately we've been a little bit behind. Uh, but here we are with a new episode, and we're happy to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Eduardo Torres. I'm the Northern California Regional Coordinator with Tennis Together, and today I'm joined with... This is Lupe Arreola. I am the Executive Director of Tennis Together. Shanti Singh, I'm the Communications Coordinator for Tenants Together. Victoria Zacharias here, a longtime volunteer and newly joined Tenants Together team in the capacity of Volunteer and Counseling Coordinator. Hi everybody, this is uh, Jorge Rivera, the Southern California Regional Coordinator with uh, Tenants Together. Happy to be here. Awesome, we came together. Uh, we're doing it through Zoom this time. Usually we try to set up a little studio at the office at Tenants Together in San Francisco, but we're all remote right now, uh, trying to find a way to keep continuing to bring these podcasts to everyone. Um, but, but before we start our program, we wanna read a statement um, that we wrote in regards to the death of George Floyd. As a staff and a coalition of housing justice organizations rooted in BIPOC communities, we're crushed and angered by the murders of George Floyd, Elijah McLean, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Nina Pop, David McAtee, Sean Monterosa, George Forbes, Rayshard Brooks, Remy Fells, Rhea Milton, and so many more, and by the unending brutality the police have inflicted on Black Lives Matter protests all over the country. Many of us have been in the streets this month, and we're also inspired by an uprising of working class power and solidarity with Black struggle that is truly unprecedented in our lifetimes. Here's how we, attendance together, are committed to supporting Black Lives Matter and Black Homes Matter and you. For first, we'll fight to cancel rents and mortgages. Tenants Together formed in 2008 as waves of predatory foreclosures swept many families, especially Black families, from their homes. The very same Wall Street bankers who exploited mortgages and then exploited Black wealth and property turned it into rental housing and then exploited tenants, or work today. As we speak, BIPOC communities are disproportionately targeted by a wave of evictions, job losses, and inability to make rent and mortgage payments. We've seen this before, and we're going to fight to cancel rent and mortgage debts to make sure that we don't go back. We will also fight lockouts and evictions executed with police force. We know that the very same machinery of state violence that destroys and devalues black lives is used to throw California tenants, especially black and Latinx tenants, out onto the street day after day. Right now, police and sheriffs are being called in during a pandemic to throw out Californians who are sheltering in place. We will and are training, organizing, and supporting Californians to fight back against oppressive and illegal evictions by force, especially in black and brown communities where one 911 call can become a death sentence. Lastly, we will fight budget austerity that puts police and prisons before the human right to housing. With the COVID-19 crisis escalating and economic collapse, Governor Newsom's proposed budget has slashed housing and homelessness funding to the bone while keeping tens of billions in police and prison funding intact. For decades, prisons have been used as a replacement for housing, just like police has been used as a replacement for investment in working class black and brown communities. We will demand that our state and local governments defund police and the prison industrial complex and invest in just shelter for all. Lastly, we ask that you please take care of the black loved ones, the partners, the friends, the families, the coworkers, the neighbors, and the organizers in your life. If you're able, put your body on the line in solidarity, protest, and organize. If you aren't able, demand justice and accountability from your elected officials. We attendants together are here to support and build your power and we're ready to fight with you no matter what's next. Thank you Shanti for reading that statement and we know that 
housing justice is racial justice and we want to make sure that we're showing solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, now we want to turn our attention to some of the stuff that's happening across the state and Lupe is going to give us uh, some news updates about what's happening. So take it away, Lupe. All right. Thanks, Eduardo. So this is the little bit of time that we we spend say, talking a little bit of legislative chisme, a little bit of the buenas and not so buenas nuevas that's happening around the state. Um, so first, I'm going to start off with um, something that happened earlier this month, but it feels like an eternity ago which is a judicial council rule. So as some of you may know, the judicial council is the agency at the state level that actually oversees the courts in California, right? We had been um, pushing Governor Newsom to pass a moratorium, which he did not pass a couple of fancy emer emergency executive orders, but nothing that actually helped implement a moratorium. So then in April, um, the judicial council passed emergency rule um, one, which basically stopped all unlawful detainers from going forward, except for a health or a um, safety issue. Um, it stopped all those unlawful detainers, which is basically the legal lawsuit to legally evict someone until 90 days after the state of emergency is over, right? And we said, hallelujah, because that is exactly what, what we were asking the governor to do. We were asking the governor to stop evictions from going forward. He didn't do that, judicial council did. Um, and so what that means is while you may get served um, an eviction notice for non-payment or for any reason during the state of emergency due to COVID-19, the landlord cannot then go to court to enforce that notice and get you removed from the premises by then getting an order and having the sheriff go and change the locks. So while you might still get an eviction notice if there's no moratorium in your community um, for evictions, they can, the landlord cannot proceed to an unlawful detainer and take you to court, at least while this rule is in place, for 90 days until after the state of emergency is over. So something that happened earlier this month is that we were told on a Monday, well, actually, no, we were told on a Tuesday, that the next day, the Judicial Council was going to be voting to amend the emergency rule and start allowing unlawful detainers to be processed as of August 3rd. So of course, we immediately jumped into action. We immediately reached out to all of our member organizations and partners on our social media, everywhere we could think of, including um, our networks all over California. And we, you know, we ask people to call judicial counsel and tell them you cannot amend this rule right now. We're still in the middle of this pandemic. The original rule said 90 days after the state of emergency is over, we are not there. So do not lift this rule and do not change it. So they received so many calls and so many emails which the judicial council is not used to getting <laughs> that um, they actually suspended the vote. And actually the rule, emergency rule one, which says that no unlawful detainers can go forward for 90 days after the state of emergency is over, is still in place. So that was a huge win for the tenant movement in California, that our voices were heard by the judicial council and they responded by suspending the vote to amend this important emergency rule. Later, we found out that really what spurred them to try to change the rule so quickly is that 
the landlords have, you know, filed a lawsuit to the state of California and to the city and county of Los Angeles, the city, definitely the city of Los Angeles, have filed a lawsuit with the city of Los Angeles and with the state of California because they're like, hey, we're tired of not getting money from our tenants when they don't understand that people don't have the money to give. So yes, they are out of a job, we're out of a job, we're all out of a job. So, um, so yes, we found out that that's what spurred this decision. So that means that, you know, while we're trying to fight for these, um, this pause that will help people stay in their homes, landlords are trying to, oh, well, at the very least, landlord associations are trying to um, already start the eviction machine again to start evicting people who have not been able to pay for no fault of their own. Um, you know, and I call it basically, you know, trying to draw blood from a stone that has lost its job. <laughs> so yeah, thanks guys. <laughs> um, so that's a great win that we had earlier this month. But again, that's a temporary win because if we see the judicial council try to bring this up again, we again have to go in there and make sure that, um, that they don't actually change this rule until, um, until 90 days after this emergency is over. And so that was really good that people were able to come together. Like a lot of tenant groups came together so quickly and demonstrated mm -hmm. renter power and, you know, answered that call, answered that need to say, hey, we're not going to make, you know, we're not going to let this happen. So big ups to all the groups that went out and made those calls and sent emails because that really helped and made sure mm -hmm. it put the stop to that potential vote. So Lupe, can you talk about maybe some legislative updates? There's been some, it's the legislative session right now, right? What's happening out there? Yeah, so, you know, right now, the Senate just ended the their first part of their legislative session, and it's been a shortened one due to um, COVID-19 crisis. So, um, so there are several bills that are coming, that have come up that have been specifically, some have specifically been to address COVID-19 impacts, and some have been to generally improve um, tenant rights at the state level. Um, the first one that I'm going to talk about is SB 1190, which was from Senator DeRazzo. Um, it was a really great bill that, um, one, would provide additional protection for victims of crime so they can um, break their leases um, if they were victims of crimes and, you know, fear for their safety. It would allow them to break their leases without having to incur additional fines and penalties. The other part of the bill would also provide a um, local enforcement for AB 1482, the Tenant Protection Act that passed last year, which enforcement has been one of the key things that has been lacking um, from this bill, from this bill that is now law and has made it very difficult for tenants to enforce their rights under AB 1482, including the rent cap of 5% plus CPI, plus um, the just cause eviction provisions that it has. Um, so this bill would have said, hey, actually you city of X, Y, and Z, your city attorney can actually enforce this law. So that would have meant that people would have been able to go to their city attorney if they were being evicted without just cause, and or if they were, their rents were being increased above um, the rent cap. Unfortunately, at the very, so yesterday at the very last minute, um, unfortunately, Senator Durazo, who is an amazing advocate for working class folks and tenants, was forced to take out 
the AB 1482 local enforcement provision because several of the senators abstained and would not put in a vote for this bill if it had the local enforcement portion into it. And, and, what, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, some of those who abstain actually voted for 1482. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, how does that even work? I don't know. Um, so basically, you know, for example, you know, three senators, which is Cavall um, Senator Caballero, Senator Pan, um, and as well as Senator Hueso, all voted in favor of AB 1482 last year. But yet, when push came to shove and voting and to vote for enforcement, they refused to cast a vote. So to me, this is like, wait, so you'll, again, in the context of like buying new fire engines for, or fire trucks for your department, You'll buy the fire trucks, but you won't buy the gas for them. Like they're useless, yeah. right? If you don't put in the enforcement that'll help people actually utilize these um, laws and resources, then it's kind of like a very nice gesture that's gonna sit there and look pretty, but it's not gonna actually help protect people when it's needed. And that's been a big concern and, and you know, a contested issue. Like if people have brought that up so much about the enforcement of it so of course and that's been a concern since the beginning since this bill went forward um in the legislature last year um you know generally you know it, it was like well you know we'll figure out enforcement and uh, when the time comes the time came enforcement hasn't been figured out as of now the the only way to really enforce ab 1482 is through the courts or local jurisdictions that have already an existing rent stabilization, like San Francisco, have been able to incorporate um, AB 1482 into their current um, rent stabilization program. But what about the majority of cities that don't, right? Um, this would have at least given these cities an avenue to start enforcing AB 1482 locally and allow, um, tenants to have somewhere that they can say, hey, my rights are being violated under this law that the state passed. And so it's, it's definitely really disappointing um, that, you know, our Senate and our Assembly, to be honest, like that our legislature in general continues to vote for, you know, really, you know, can vote for such a broad change in state um, tenant rights laws, but yet refuse to vote for the things that will actually give it teeth and will give it enforcement. It's like, you know, you're giving lip service without teeth and like, that's just not gonna be helpful for us. And so, you know, we definitely, you know, definitely wanna call on those senators that, you know, voted for AB 1482 and refused to vote for 11 SB 1190 um, to say, hey, you know, let's talk because this is not something that is acceptable to tenants across California and even more, for the tenants that, for places that are majority tenants, whose senators just voted no, we definitely need to take them to task. It is unacceptable that for a place that's half renters, our senators still continue to just not be there, literally by abstaining or voting no on these bills. If you vote for a bill and, and you really do support tenants and their ability to live, to have a good quality of life by not having their rents increased more than a certain amount or not being evicted without a just cause, then prove it, then vote for the enforcement. Um, you know, not let that still be a, a loose thread that we're having to figure out. Um, so that's, you know, for, but also give big props to Senator Durazo, 
who really like, she fought the long fight. She fought a really good fight on this bill. She did not um, take that part out until the very last minute until she was basically forced to, to salvage the part that would actually be self-support victims of crime. Um, which again, it is really, really sad that the senators who abstained would rather be seen as anti-victims of crime, but not by not voting on this bill, instead of being seen as, seen as pro-tenant. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's like, right. wow, you would much rather vote against a bill that has tenant protections and would help victims of crime. They would much rather be seen as anti-victims of crime than pro-tenant. Like, they're not willing to vote if it had both. And that, it just seems ridiculous to me. I'm going to go over two bills that are currently in the state legislature that would ad help address COVID-19 um, impacts on, on renters. One is SB 1410 which just passed the Senate yesterday. AB 1410, what it would do is that it would, um, it would allow tenants and landlords to enter into what's called a rent stabilization agreement on a voluntary basis. Basically, it would, um, it would make it so that the state would take on the rent debt from the tenant and they would give the landlord um, you know, tax credits that they can then use over the next 10 years um, or is starting in 2024, or that they can then sell in the open market, right? So again, we're now playing speculation with, with people's rents, right, even more. Um, so there's, even though this is, even though the idea is good for this bill in some ways, there's a lot of things that we are very concerned about. So one of the problems with SB 1410 is that um, the landlord can basically um, be exempt from this, if they can show a letter or they can show a statement saying, hey, I asked the tenant and they're not interested, right? So that to us opens up a whole, whole can of possible like, um, you know, false statements as well as potentially, um, you know, them representing the tenants have said no when they have it, right? Or, or tenants being pressured to say that they don't want this type of agreement. Um, you know, and again, this is not far-fetched. Plenty of times we've seen landlords um, falsify things under penalty of perjury when it comes to um, unlawful detainers. We have seen this several times, um, not once, not twice, but many. So it is not beyond the scope that they could also potentially be falsifying records to, um, you know, to say that, that they offer this to the tenant and the tenant said no. So that's one. Um, another one is that it would be based on the tenant's tax record. And also, so which again, you're now getting into like, you know, the tenant's long-term tax record, which again, if they have complications with that, how is that gonna be addressed? As, as well as um, at the end of the day, it also is, it, it's according to whoever is on the lease, which again, to me is, is potentially an opportunity that could be exploited by landlords by saying, hey, you're not on the lease even though you've been living here for years. So I think I need to evict you because you're not on the lease and you cannot sign this agreement anyway because you're, you're not on the lease. So I'm gonna have to evict you for non-payment. Oh well, you know. Um, so, and again, so to us, there's, there's a lot of opportunities that could be exploited here for a landlord to still be able to evict the tenant, especially if, if it's for non-payment, especially if it's, that's been lived there, lived there for a long time and it's a rent controlled unit 
And so um, there's, you know, those things need to be tightened up before we feel that this bill would actually give the, the help, would help tenants in the way that they need during this long-term crisis, right? Um, the second bill is AB 1436, which was just introduced by um, Senator Chu. And what this bill would do, so this is, again, it's the COVID-19 Eviction Prevention and Housing Stabilities Act. Um, and so what it would do is it provided, if a tenant, it would say that a tenant cannot be evicted due to unpaid rent accrued during COVID-19 state of emergency and for 90 days after, right? It does require tenants to resume regular rent payments within 90 days of the end of the COVID-19 emergency. It encourages landlords to enter into voluntary repayment agreements. Um, and it also gives tenants a chance to pay back the rent, you know, that is currently more than a year old. And, and also makes the rent um, unevictable, which are good things, right? But again, there we need to make sure that there is enforcement for these bills. For example, who's the one that's, where can tenants, who can tenants go to if the landlord says that, so, the, uh, and again, with this bill, we're also concerned that the, the details for enforcement are not there yet, that the enforcement is where there might be even a bigger abuse of this bill if there isn't any clear guidelines for enforcement. Who would enforce this as well? Um, and, um, and additionally is that, you know, again, we wanna make sure that there isn't any kind of requirement that is going to um, leave out any tenants, whether they're undocumented, whether they work under the table, you know, whether they have like several jobs, you know, that it's basically, um, that it's not gonna put them in a position where they're gonna be rejected because of their work or their source of income. And also um, that it's voluntary. The end of the day, all of these proposals are voluntary. So that means that if unfortunately the landlord says no, the tenant is back to square one. And what is the state gonna do when that happens? Regarding AB 1436, as of right now, um, it's still going through committees. There's a lot of um, chances, hopefully, to make some changes. And we really look forward to engaging with state officials on making these changes to make this bill and the other bills that are currently in the legislature be the, uh, what, what it's gonna be needed to help out tenants during this difficult time that is ongoing. Again, by the time these bills pass and hopefully by the time the governor signs them, we're not gonna be out of the woods. And so it's gonna be really, really necessary that these bills stand the test of time and that actually, and, and it can actually be enforced when the time comes. Nice, thank you Lupe for that update. Uh, we know that there's still a lot of organizing needs that can be addressed and there's a lot of momentum right now with folks really trying to get involved with uh, the fight for housing justice. And we have Jorge who's gonna talk about cancel the rent, what's, uh, what it entails, what's happening with it, give us an update. Uh, yeah, Jorge, what's up? All right, so cancel the rent. Um, as as you can like, as you can see from what Lupe shared, is uh, we still have a lot a lot of work to do on on the legislative front. And the cancel the rent campaign that is being led by Tenants Together is also part of a, a national effort to uh, cancel rent and mortgages. So we're tied into to that level uh, work as well. Uh, but specifically for, for us and here in California, we started the Council Ring campaign 
sometime in March, right around uh, the time where we really started to see and observe that tenants were being financially impacted by COVID-19. And that's really where it, it all started to take, uh, take off and take shape. Uh, what the council rent campaign is geared toward, uh, toward doing and accomplishing is to try to get Governor Newsom to actually do something about uh, canceling the rent and canceling the mortgages uh, to be able to provide relief for tenants and residents all throughout the state. Um, as you heard from, from what Lupe shared, uh, and as you probably heard in the news, uh, unfortunately, Governor Newsom still has yet to actually step up and do something that is really strong and protective of tenants. Um, we, we launched the campaign in order to ensure that folks were going to be able to shelter in place, especially uh, because of COVID-19. Folks were asked uh, to be able to stay home and not go out, uh, remain social distancing. Well, if people are getting kicked out of their homes because they're unable to pay rent and because they're unable to work, that makes social distancing uh, pretty impossible to accomplish. So uh, we thought that sheltering in place and keeping people in their homes might have been a good way to, to address the social distancing requirements of COVID-19. And, and so we're, yeah, we're asking Governor Newsom to do something about the rent and, and keep people housed. The other component of council rent campaign is that of council mortgages. Uh, we are very uh, supportive of uh, being able to put a halt or a deferment or a forbearance, whatever you want to call it, on, on small um, mom and pop uh, property owners that might also be financially impacted uh, by COVID-19 if their tenants aren't paying rent and they're relying on the rent to be able to pay their mortgages. Well, that might impact them, which might also lead to like property loss or foreclosure. And we definitely don't want to have another, another foreclosure crisis on our hands, like what happened in the Great Recession in 2008, where a whole bunch of capital investment firms came in, swooped up all these single-family homes and properties, and, and took it out of the hands of, of the community. And, and then it makes it tougher for tenants to be able to, to advocate for tenant protections or for affordable rents because you have these big, uh, big vulture capitalists that are managing the properties now. Uh, so we have been developing that, as you can imagine, like everything's changing constantly. Uh, things are changing month to month because of COVID-19. No one really knows what's going to happen. It's like you can't see like two feet in front of you uh, kind of thing. And so the council rent campaign has been constantly evolving and pivoting in order to be able to absorb all the different changes that we're seeing happen out in, in the world. When, when we first started the campaign, there was like this huge buzz, I don't know if you remember, a couple months back that uh, people were talking about rent strikes and people wanting to go on rent strikes or planning rent strikes or doing rent strikes in their building. And so the council rent campaign was, uh, was trying to provide information and education around what a rent strike is, how to do it properly, how to how to protect yourself uh, with it. Uh, so we did that. Um, right now, the and most recently, and I'll probably get to this a little later, uh, we did a training on uh, stopping uh, illegal lockouts, uh, which we're seeing on the rise as well throughout the state, uh, also known as 
self-help evictions or illegal evictions. We talked a lot about what all that entails and what people can do to protect themselves in, uh, in that training. Um, we're also trying to use one of the most powerful weapons uh, that we have in organizing, and that's uh, people's stories. Uh, and so working with, uh, in collaboration with um, our communications uh, person and our counseling person, and in partnership with other organizations like Anti-Eviction Mapping Project, we are trying to collect and uplift uh, the stories of tenants that are being directly impacted on the ground because people really need to hear how, it, how it's affecting people's lives uh, to, to be out of work, to not be able to pay rent, to, to be afraid of going outside and, and maybe contracting COVID. There's just so much stuff that, that needs to be addressed. And so our council rent campaign is, is basically that. We want the governor to council rent. Uh, we're, we're constantly changing the components of the campaign to be able to jive with what's happening in the times. As like Shanti read our statement um, in support and in alignment for the movement of black lives uh, and, and also really addressing police violence. Um, you know, we're seeing how police and policing uh, actually intersect with housing with these illegal lockouts. And, and that's something that we're going to need to start to address as an organization and as a movement. And I think we're, we're really starting to see people adopting that framework. Um, both locally and nationally. And so, Jorge, you mentioned talking about the Council to Rank campaign out early on. Like, we saw a lot of folks hashtagging it and spark a lot of interest in a lot of uh, folks who, before the pandemic, they really weren't getting plugged into uh, some of the stuff that's been happening. But there's just a huge wave of folks fighting back right now. And I'm wondering if maybe you or Shanti have heard about like anybody actually canceling the rent. I have. Um, so. Yeah, it's actually, well, unfortunately, it's not in California, but it is in Ithaca, New York. Um, I don't know if anyone else has heard of Ithaca, New York, but uh, there's, it's got a lot of gorges, which is why people say Ithaca is gorges. Um, I, <laughs> I have some family there. Um, so Ithaca, New York, actually, they, they kind of got tired of the state of New York and state governments not acting. And to kind of zoom out for a second, you know, there has been action at the federal level through Ilhan, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's uh, Rent Mortgage Cancellation Act, which has been supported by tenant groups across the country, including us. But unfortunately, that uh, despite Congresswoman Omar's efforts, that hasn't really moved anywhere on the federal level. But that is sort of the beginning of a cancel rent, you know, right. push, cancel mortgages push on the federal level, which is good to see. It's not something we've seen in for a very long time at the federal government. Mm -hmm. But uh, we also saw bills at the state level, particularly in New York State, uh, State Senator Mike Giannaris back in April when the pandemic was first picking up, um, was trying to uh, do a 90-day rent and mortgage cancellation bill. Same thing kind of happened with him in that, you know, uh, despite great efforts, great organizing, you know, the bill kind of got stuck in the legislative hell. And I think, you know, Lupe has already kind of illustrated pretty well what legislative hell uh, looks like in state legislatures. So I won't get into that too much. But so the state, so the city of Ithaca, New York has just decided really they were, they were going to take matters into their own hands. And so their city council and their tenants union, their tenants union organized and their city council decided uh, to pass a resolution to cancel rent and mortgages in Ithaca, New York. Now, 
the next steps for that, doing it on the city level, it can be kind of hard. Um, and so the next steps for them is they are pushing, you know, the state of New York to actually recognize their rent cancellation so that they can properly enact it. So that's where that is. But really, they are trying to make a statement that, you know, we're not giving up. We're not going away. This is our demand. We want, we need to cancel rent. We need to cancel mortgages. Here in California, we know that 75% of Californians, according to the latest poll, support canceling rent and canceling mortgages for the duration of the coronavirus pandemic. We know that. That's whether you're Democrat, Republican, Black, White, young, old. We know that this is what the people want and this is what the people need. And so, you know, the city of Ithaca, like, seems like a scrappy little city, but they're basically saying, like, you know, we're going to keep pushing this. We're going to keep fighting until we get what we need. Nice. And so, and so it's really, it's really heartening to see that. And I think that's, I hope, going to encourage a lot of, a lot of us as we keep fighting for this goal, because it can be, can feel discouraging um, when, you know, the 1st of March rolls by, the 1st of April, 1st of May, 1st of June, coming up on the 1st of July. But, you know, people are still organizing around this demand. The movement's getting bigger every 1st of the month. And, you know, I, I think that's what happened in Ithaca is a really good example of, you know, creativity and the grit that we're going to need if we're going to get through all of this inaction on the state and federal levels. Right. And, and then we saw also something happen here in San Francisco, too, right? We did. We did. Um, actually, so uh, our, our former executive director of Tenants Together, uh, <laughs> Mr. Dean <laughs> Preston, um, is, uh, now serves on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Uh, and so he passed, I believe, with a 10 to 1 vote out of 11 uh, supervisors, uh, basically permanently outlying um, evictions based off of COVID-related hardship. If you were unable to pay your rent um, because if you have proof of hardship, um, because it was you that you lost your job or because your roommate lost their job, et cetera, mm -hmm. evictions on that basis um, are outlawed. So that, yeah, it, it is, it's great. And we're hoping to see that, you know, a wave of that uh, percolate through other California municipalities as well. Right. Like it's a huge step in the right direction. It's a basic, it's a, it's, it's very basic in the sense that, you know, no, every evicting a single person in this pandemic is a health risk. It can be a death sentence, yeah. either whether it's by the hands of the virus or as Jorge mentioned by the hands of the police. So, you know, unfortunately, it came out today that um, the uh, San Francisco Apartment Association, which is the local landlord association, is going to try to sue to overturn it. Uh, they are threatening that. Um, but, you know, uh, Dean's a tenant lawyer. I think he I think he knows. I think he wrote a pretty good law. So um, we'll see how that goes. And, and, you know, to zoom out for a second, it is very unfortunate that, you know, both in San Francisco and also Los Angeles with the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, they're suing uh, the, the Los Angeles County, I think, for, uh, for their over to overturn their eviction protections, which aren't even as strong as the ones just passed in San Francisco. So, you know, it's really unfortunate to see this, but like people are pretty confident and ready to fight for it. Um, you know, landlords being petty, they're going to be petty sometimes. Um, but you know, city, cities are moving along and San Francisco is one of them. Thanks to you. 
big shout out to Dean Preston, man. Big, big shout out to our former director and, you know, for leading that and also showing like that's possible, right? And that these things can be addressed, even at a local level, they could be addressed. Um, yeah, so, and, and actually, sorry, I got to mention too, big shout out to our member organizations in San Francisco, you know, uh, San Francisco Tenants Union, the Housing Rights Committee, Calza Justa, you know, one, one, cal- one councilman, we love Dean, but you know, it's all about people power and those organizations were really instrumental to getting that passed. So what do we do now? I, I definitely want to pass it back to Jorge who mentioned earlier um, about the Stop the Illegal Evictions workshops that he was able to facilitate recently. And also maybe he could tell us a little bit about when those Cancel the Rent uh, support calls are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, Cancel Rent campaign has uh, all kinds of components, one of which is uh, the support and strategy calls that we are doing on a weekly basis every Tuesday from 5.30 to 7.30. And uh, we have the registration links up on our Facebook page and uh, and you can sign up there uh, just so you can get reminders and the Zoom link uh, to get onto these calls. These calls are a space to be able to congregate attorneys, tenant organizers and advocates as well as tenants and, and just to be uh, talking about what's going on uh, and how we might be able to support them but also using the conversations and the dialogue to be able to inform strategies that we might want to employ in the council rent campaign and in in place of one of those uh those uh, trainings or those calls we had last week a a training that was uh, put on by attorneys uh, that were from the national lawyers guild in in los angeles and a public defender from kern county juan morales uh, the attorney from NLG was Alexi Hong, and they did a phenomenal uh, training on on illegal lockouts, uh, what the what to expect, uh, what's what's considered a crime, how how to be able to address police, and 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 what to do if a, a property owner is trying to lock you out illegally. That's like taking your stuff out, changing the locks, preventing you from entering again. Uh, so we covered a lot of that uh, information and I think it was really well received. Uh, and in the midst of that, um, this was a, a training that was done right, like after like the second week of marches and protests uh, for the movement of black lives. So the conversation around policing and police violence was already heightened all around the world. And, and then we started to see that local police departments, specifically, I can speak of those in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles Police Department would come out and they would start getting involved in these illegal lockouts and, and presenting themselves really aggressively with tenants and tenant advocates and attorneys uh, siding with property owners uh, when the property owner is claiming that the tenant is has abandoned the property or is squatting and that's just not true and and so we started to really notice the intersection between policing I even want to say police violence and how it intersects with what we're seeing uh, seeing happen in our communities around tenants and housing right. um, and so there was a conversation that was being had in the chat during this training about, 
you know, how we should engage police, whether we should engage police and, and maybe we should be focusing on more community policing type strategies, which is in, in direct alignment with the defund police ask, you know, that's being put out there by our communities, right, is, is to divest from police funding and invest in communities. And, and so during this training, I think we really saw that overlap happen. Um, so I think our council rent campaign, again, as I mentioned earlier, we're really going to have to investigate is like, how much does it overlap? Where does it overlap? And how are we, or how are we going to integrate this, um, this concept of policing into our work as uh, tenants' rights advocates. Thank you for that recap, Jorge. Um, and definitely so important to get on those trainings, especially with the Stop Illegal Evictions training that was well attended. How many, I think we had, how many people on there, Jorge? Well, we had over 300 registered and 160 actually participate. Yeah, um, it was huge. Yeah, yeah huge. huge. And I know we're still trying to figure out like how we're going to post the videos and where we're going to post the videos and the slides <laughs> and stuff like that. But once we figure that out, I'm sure we'll make it available to folks. Yeah, and if you're listening to this podcast, maybe send an email uh, to uh, to you, right? What's your email? Uh, my email is uh, Jorge, J-O-R-G-E, at tenantstogether.org. Awesome. Thanks, Jorge. So we want to move along to something that we love here at Tenants Together, which is our hotline. We love our volunteers, and we have an awesome new counselors, volunteer, coordinator, slash Wonder Woman, slash yes. all sorts of stuff. And Victoria's going <laughs> to give us an update about what's happening. Keep it coming, Eduardo. You're going to be my height <laughs> man when I become a rapper on the road I swear we talked about this it's, this is <laughs> this happening is a thing this is a thing swampy waters all right thank you so much for having me here and inviting me to speak on this rad podcast um yeah so uh great news um the hotline is still around and available and our volunteers have been able to maintain and actually transition the hot, the work of the hotline to be conducted entirely remotely. So that is really brilliant. And um, it was done really swiftly by our with the support of our volunteers, but of course it had its own challenges. Um, and it was just beautiful to see how our volunteers, uh, even though they have experienced like many of the direct effects of COVID-19 themselves, um, <clears throat> whether it was like a loss of a family member, missed graduations, lost jobs, uh, the way that they were able to go above and beyond and helping to reimagine like this whole transition of the hotline work to become remote and like continuously sustain their commitment to the volunteer work has been beautiful and rich solidarity work. And I'm just like so proud to be um, a comrade in this fight with our amazing volunteers. Uh, they've been able to do amazing work by like offering that direct support to the tenants and really doing that front line of work of like supporting folks who have been impacted by COVID-19. They've definitely done a good job of siphoning through a lot of that like patchwork kind of either federal or state or uh, local emergency protections that Lupe had spoken to previously um, and has been able to provide direct support then to those who are most vulnerable by those impacts. Yeah, successfully in those, successfully in um, our volunteers in these few months of becoming remote have been able to assist over 300 tenant households amidst this whole global health crisis. Wow. So that's huge. yeah, it's huge. And we can only foresee 
an uptick in calls and asks for support um, as these local protections, you know, begin to expire. Uh, so yeah, get out and vote, y'all. Make sure our voices are heard. Um, and if you would like to get involved and become a volunteer with Tenants Together, we're going to be hosting um, an intro to tenant right counseling training in August. It's going to be a two-week training series, also remote uh, via Zoom. I think that's kind of the format of the world these days, existing yeah. in Zoom. <laughs> we live in Zoom world now. We really do. Um, but yeah, it's it's very definitely in support, um, need of support of volunteers now more than ever. Our hotline volunteers are definitely key in that fight against gentrification and displacement. And as a counselor, you'll play this huge key role in the defending housing as a human right by supporting those impacted by the crisis. Uh, to assert their rights and for, to protect their families and their homes. So come join us. Uh, we'd love to have you. We're in huge need of Spanish-speaking volunteers. So if you speak Spanish, si hablas español, let's go. Let's go. We're ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> and how can someone reach you if they if they want to? Yeah, you can reach us, of course. Uh, thanks, Eduardo, for that. Uh, you can, of course, reach us on um, our Tenants Together website. Um, and alternatively, you can just hit your girl up. It's uh, Victoria, V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A, at tenantstogether.org. First of all, Victoria is amazing. She's our newest staff member, and we're so freaking lucky. So two is that- You're coming on the road with me too, Lupe. We're gonna, <laughs> like, we're gonna start a band, that's it. I'll be like your, y'all, I'll be your hype section. I'll yes. be lady. Um, <laughs> So, you know, but also, um, so yeah, I mean, the point and one thing we really want to drive home is that anybody can be a tenant counselor, okay? You don't have to have any specific kind of previous experience. Um, you don't have to have a law degree. None of us on staff do, <laughs> you know? Um, none of us on staff do. So, you know, you don't have to have a college education. You don't have to, no, you just have to want to help people maintain their housing, enforce their rights, and believe in tenant rights. That's the only requirement. Everything else can be learned. And we are here to help you learn it. So join us. It's fun. No, that's so awesome that, you know, we are making that ask for more great volunteers because we've had so many great volunteers come through Tennis Together. Um, and, you know, I also wanted to lift up the volunteer hotline number because there might be a, a tenant listening to this podcast right now and, and you're probably having issues that you want to address. So we do have a very, um, very, very, very free hotline that people could call all across the state. And that number is one 495 8020 That's one Four nine five eight zero two zero. Yeah, give us a call. We'll try to return your phone call as soon as possible. But we do have some great volunteers that are definitely anxious and ready to help. So please uh, give us a call if you are a renter and you're in California and having some issues that you want help with. And now we want to end this show with a little bit of a fundraising ask that Lupe is going to take us into. All right. Thank you, Eduardo. So it's summer. And this is normally the time where we would be inviting you to our awesome and fun annual fundraiser called Raise the Roof for Renters. Uh, it's our annual fundraiser where we have a good time, dance, hang out, eat, and raise money for tenants together. Um, unfortunately, this year, 
due to COVID-19, which has ruined everybody's lives. It's canceled. <laughs> Let's just say it. It's canceled all of 2020. I know. We're like, you know, we're like, 2019 was bad. And then we're like, 2020 will be better. COVID-19 is like, hold my beer. So anyway, yeah. So basically due to COVID-19, unfortunately, we have to cancel our fundraiser. We do not foresee any way that we can have a gathering where people can hang out and be in close proximity to each other and be able to have the type of gathering they would normally have. We don't see that happening for the rest of the year, to be honest. And, to be, and we also would never want to risk anybody's health. And we love everybody, all of you too much to want to put anybody in danger um, to catch COVID-19 by being in a, in a social setting with all of us, even though we're super fun. So instead, this year, what we're going to do is that we're going to do a summer fundraising push uh, to make up for the money that we would normally make for, during a fundraiser. Um, every year, we usually um, are able to make about $40,000 from our fundraiser. It helps us pay for a lot of the work that um, our foundation grants do not cover. And so it, it helps us do a lot of our, you know, a lot of our tenant hotline work, a lot of our, um, you know, statewide organizing work. Um, it helps us be able to bring people together, whether it be virtually or through um, or in person as in the past. And so what we're asking from you is help us reach a goal of $20,000 by the end of the summer. Um, we want to be able to, um, you know, keep continue doing our work to still be able to make up some of the, some of the money that we wouldn't, would have made our fundraiser through our, you know, grassroots fundraising. So, you know, we know that a lot of people are going through hard times and have been hit really hard by the economic impacts of COVID-19. If you haven't been, if you haven't been hit by the economic impacts of COVID-19 and you can spare, whether it be 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 bucks, whatever it can be, or even more, um, you know, please um, definitely think about making a donation to Tenants Together, either like a monthly donation or an annual do donation that we can count towards that $20,000 total. Um, you know, we definitely depend on our community for that added, that added help and that added funding. So um, if, you know, there's more than one way to contribute, so you might contribute your time, your skills, whatever, that is awesome as well, and we can definitely use it. If you are able to contribute a little bit of money, that would be fantastic to help us meet this goal. So um, you can go to our website, www.tennistogether.org, um, and click the donate button on the far right of the page. Help us meet our summer fundraising goals. Um, hopefully next year, we can celebrate meeting our fundraising goal this year, and we can celebrate next year's uh, Tenant Together anniversary in a big party once we can all see with you together. Thank you so much, Lupe, for that awesome update on fundraising. And we want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of the Renter Power Hour. You can find us on Spotify and SoundCloud. Go ahead, search under Renter Power Hour, hit subscribe, follow us, and hopefully you can listen to our next episode next month. So don't forget to check us out. Every month, we'll try to have new episodes for you. And uh, thanks again for listening. Bye, everyone. Take care. Be safe. Yay! Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>